Welcome to the Ride Boundless Podcast, guys. I'm happy you made it. You're coming all the way out from Long Beach, Adam? Oh, no, I'm... No, you're Culver City. Culver City, yes. And you're coming from Long Beach. Long Beach. Long Beach, LBC. Have you lived there your whole life? So, actually, I'm from a smaller town near Long Beach, but nobody knows where it is, so I always just defer. Oh, no, not yet. Oh, you're, you're not yet? What's what's the smaller town called? Norwalk. Norwalk. Yeah, but, but nobody that's knows. Cute. People that are transplants, they've never heard of Norwalk, and that's the majority of the people I come across in the west side of L.A. Cheers. Thank you for having us. Cheers. 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 Salute. You, you, the, the thing with that is um, I notice a lot of people from L.A. are not from L.A., and, and you see that especially uh, on holidays. You know, I remember back in the days you would go out like on Sunset Boulevard or you'd go to like the clubs, and they're empty during the holidays because everybody went home to see their family. So there's a lot of towns that people don't know in LA or Long Beach or in California in general. Right. You know, right. so I, th- I think that's a big thing. And you came from Culver City. Are you originally from California? Yes. So uh, born and raised in Los Feliz. Uh, recently, this past year, moved to Culver City uh, with my girlfriend. Um, we wanted to, to find a place that's sort of in the middle uh, for her and I because her family's in Torrance, mine's in Silver Lake. Um, but it ended up working out because we moved right when BMC sort of started. So it worked out. BMC, what what what's what's BMC? Franco, <laughs> you want to take the take the floor? Yeah. So BMC stands for Beachside Moto Club, and we're a a group of people that put on uh, monthly group rides on Saturdays, uh, ranging from different cities along the Los Angeles coast. Hence the word Beachside Moto Club. And uh, Adam and I put it together. Thought it would be pretty cool to put it together. Most rides usually take place on Sundays, and we thought we thought um, Saturdays is, there's a need. Um, and so, you know, kind of organized a couple friends at a couple can- canyon rides, balanced ideas off each other, and uh, and started it. And uh, Adam spearheaded a lot of the early work, and uh, it's been really successful so far. I mean, the last one that I just showed up to uh, when you guys uh, at the Blue Coffee. What is it? Blue Bottle Coffee? Yeah, Blue Bottle Coffee. Jesus Christ. There's so many people there. I mean, it was what, over 100 people? Just about 100 at that one. That's amazing. Congratulations. When did you guys start? And did you think it was going to be this big? uh, Well, when did you guys start? Did you think it was going to be this big in in this short time? So we started December of uh, 2021. Franco and I only met a few months prior to that at a uh, Venice Vintage Motorcycle Club group ride. Um, we started hanging out, and like Franco had mentioned, there was a need for Saturdays. There was a need for camaraderie, um, given the the two years of COVID and everyone sort of being so isolated. The community, they needed that for, for us to come together. And we were just like, why don't we just start a Saturday casual group ride once a month? And uh, our very first ride, we were hoping for 15, 20 people. Um, and our very first one, we had 55. We're like, wow, okay, that was a great turnout. Um, all Instagram, all... Yeah, all through Instagram. Mouth. And personally reaching out to people. Um, that, I think, was huge for us. Just reaching out, inviting them to hang out with us. Um, we really wanted to get to know more people in the community. And then the second one came around, and Franco and I were debating, and I said, we might have less because we didn't uh, hype it up so much. All right. Cheers. Real this time. Wow, cheers. 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 There cheers. we go. Cheers, cheers. 
And then the second one, we had 95 people. And I think at that point we realized um, this, this has potential to be um, something really cool for the community. So we continued on and it's been pretty consistent. No, it's, it's awesome. What, who, many people riding motorcycles have had this idea with their friends. Like, hey, let's put a fucking thing, a ride together and this, that, that. But nobody does it, right? Who, who was the one that said, hey, this is an idea and let's plan? Who, how did you guys execute it? Like, were you super motivated? Was it like, fuck, let's just do this and because we're going to do it? Or was it that you guys wanted to do it this weekend, but you said maybe next month? You know, that procrastinating. Or was there none? I, it's pretty funny because I would mention the idea to Franco and I think he was like, it's a little early, you know, we're still meeting people. And I said, why don't we just go for it? And Franco bought in and um, there was a ton of preparation for it between going to events and telling people about it, attending other events, learning from other local groups um, and getting their feedback too. We were very much about getting feedback and um, I don't think we realize how much time and work would go into it, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, we used, we leveraged our network in the moto community and told a bunch of friends, Hey, we're going to put together this group. Would you want to be a part of it? We're going to need people to help block. We're just trying to figure out how we're going to manage such a large group just in case it, it blew up. And, um, we, we leveraged who we knew and created an Instagram handle maybe a couple of weeks before that first ride. And just Adam had the brilliant idea of um, tagging a lot of people on the stories to get a lot of interest. And as people shared the story on their story, then more people kind of share the story. Yeah. They keep sharing and they did a lot of the promoting for us. Yeah, that was, um, I think that was huge between reaching out to friends and when they would commit, I would say, um, this person is coming. Are you? And I had the countdown and I would post a picture of that individual who was attending and then they would share that. And then other people would say, Hey, I want to come. And it just turned out that first ride, we had about 50, 55 riders. No. And, and, and I want to continue talking about the success of it and how it's been growing. But I, I always have such an interest on, on when people execute ideas, you know, because like I said, everybody has ideas, everybody has thoughts, everybody has a vision, everybody has like, I don't want to say a goal, because if they had a goal, they would execute it. So, but they have this thought, what was the execution? Because you, you like you like, for example, you guys talked about there was a lot of preparation. So yeah. what was part of that preparation? Uh, you went to a lot of events, you started networking. But what was the plan before you started going to the events and networking? What, what was that preparation? Who pushed who? Because, you know, it's all, it's all about that motivation. You know, if anybody can catch anything from here, it'd be like, fuck, <laughs> they did it. I want to execute something like this. You know, like, right. I'll give you an example. This podcast, I, I was going to do this podcast in 2013. But I didn't. Oh. I had a partner. I this. He did the editing. He did this. He kind of, we, we bumped heads. And, you know, I let it go. You know, so I let it go for so many years. Imagine 2013, right? And then uh, two, three years ago, I was just in the garage, and one of my friends is like, dude, you have so much equipment, you should do the podcast. And I was like, yeah, I was going to do a podcast. He's like, let's just do it now. I was like, yeah. He's like, let's just do it now. And now I'm almost at 100 episodes, and, you know, it, 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 it was that bit of that motivation. What was your guys' process when you had this idea how long did it take those steps to, to get where you guys had your first ride? Did it take two months, three months? 
Was it something you guys were doing every weekend? Were you knocking on fucking doors? You know, like you were obviously tagging people. What was that process? Because now people show up and they go, oh, look at this. This is magic. You know, you got 100 people here. That's not magic. It's not. It's definitely developed a ton. Um, I was sort of like the energetic one. And Franco was like, we got to really think through this and be practical (laughs) and logical. Yeah. you know, I think what was a huge help was we got a lot of mentorship from a local club, Venice Vintage Motorcycle Club. Shout um, out to them. Hold on. Major shout out. Ah. <laughs> uh, you know, I was almost talking to Dane every day, just getting feedback input from someone who's been successful uh, for 13 years. But again, we, we didn't want to copy them. We wanted to put um, some sort of twist to it, make it different, go to venues that weren't motorcycle specific, right? Everyone goes to the rock store, Neptune's net, uh, cook's corner. Like these are very famous motorcycle spots. And we were just trying to find a way to put our own spin on it. Um, but Franco, he was very smart in, uh, networking, meeting people, um, and he was a lot better at that than I was. I was sort of the event planner and had all these ideas, but he was very logical in making decisions. And um, yeah, it was it was really hard at first because we were just trying to find a venue. You know, you you call a place, say, hey, we want to bring a ton of motorcycles to your venue for for lunch and drinks, and they're like, um, Hell's Angels, and <laughs> no. uh, you know that's like their first thought. <laughs> right. Like, no, just a bunch of accountants and filmmakers and musicians on motorcycles. Yeah. You know, regular people who are friendly and a part of the community. Um, and those first few months were tough trying to find venues because we wanted to keep it interesting. But then once these venues saw that we were bringing a large crowd, um, now we're almost a whole year out booked with venues for the next 11, 12 months. Um so that's insane. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of things we had to climb. Franco, if you want to add some more, a lot of preparation for each ride, huh? Yeah, I mean, we have to before every ride, we come up with a ride route and we decide what's the most efficient way, least lights, least stop signs, easiest for a parade of motorcycles to go through lights and corners and turns. Um, all of that takes place through tons of calls between Adam and I and the whole rest of the team. In the beginning, it was just kind of us spending a lot of hours just kind of ironing out all the details, um, where we're going to block traffic, where we're going to wait for red lights or where we're going to go through them. And um, even just like the Instagram handle, like we needed to make sure we could get a good uh, handle <laughs> for for it to be, you know, it'd be cool. So we were, it's also part of how we came up with the name. We were, I was on Instagram, I'm like, okay, let me type a couple different names in. I'm like, hey, Beachside Motor Club's available. Grab it. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, we also sent out, like, through our friends, like, what do you think of these different names and acronyms? And um, BMC sort of just rolled off the tongue for most people, and they liked it. You know, us being based in Santa Monica. And he saw the Instagram, let's make it. And uh, we sort of just rolled with it. We, we always like to get input from the community because that's, yeah. you know, who our target audience is. Uh, we want to make them happy and give them the best experience. And I think that they should have an input on uh, sort of how we go about stuff. Is, isn't it amazing how, how we rely on Instagram, y- your username or the idea name to be available? 
like fuck you know it's like it's like yeah. a domain you know you get that domain <laughs> it's not what you want to name it's what's available and when you get <laughs> yeah. something it's like what yeah you know like i found right boundless i was like what everything was right boundless i was like this is awesome there's nobody's using this but like it, it changes everything mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's gotta be clean clean for good for marketing promotion makes it look very professional and who knows where Beach Side Moto Club's gonna end up in the future? So, are, are you guys doing merch? So we've got some shirts right here, Beach Side nice. Moto Club shirts. We've sold them at uh, our meetup spots before we take off for the group ride, and uh, we've got merch for the crew, all the team members that help make everything happen. We got hats, um, patches that we use to identify who we are and who the crew is. Um, but for now, the only merch that we're selling are T-shirts, right, Adam? Yeah, at this time, um, it was tough. So we were gifted these shirts to help us because um, our team, which is now 20-plus individuals on this team, um, we were all paying out of pocket to sort of make this happen. And um, JMP Merchandise, they donated 50 shirts for us to sell to use towards raffle prizes, uh, event space, um, and... It was sort of hard to manage that because we literally had like a box of T-shirts that we would show up to a ride and try and sell at the ride. But there's so much going on from us uh, making sure people are parking nicely and safely to greeting people. Uh, We try our best to greet almost every person who shows up to our ride and so that they have someone to go to that's familiar, um, especially if they're new. Um, But at this time, uh, we don't have merch, but we definitely have talked about making that happen yeah it's, it's super important yeah we're still a baby club so we're gonna keep growing we'll no you see. guys are you guys are killing it where <laughs> you guys are at right now is it's absolutely amazing uh i i did uh we were talking before we started about the ride i i did do i think what was it the palos verde palos verde ride mm-hmm. like about two months ago three months ago to we, we've had a few rides down south was it Bury west or it was may have it? been because september was canceled so in August. Steelcraft was August. It was, yeah. We did go to Steelcraft, I think. Yeah, Steelcraft. Yeah, 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 okay. exactly. And then and we, we met across the Long Beach Bridge and all that yes, stuff. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that was actually a good ride because uh, there was a few people in the front that were just speeding through the fucking canyons. And I was like, oh, this is fun. I, I was, I was, I don't know if you guys remember, but I was riding my streak line on that ride and I was kind of like going back and forth trying to catch everybody on the camera so I just I kept going from the back all the way to the middle all the way to the back all the way to the front I was all over the place trying which you shouldn't do that people yeah you shouldn't do that they they knew about me yeah, doing we this, gave but, them permission to do that but I had I had a bunch of cameras <laughs> on the bike so it was pretty clear that I was trying to get the shots it wasn't I wasn't interfering with anybody's ride but yeah that that, that was a very nice ride but I don't think you had as many people as this this blue bottle ride that one we had about like 85 or 90. Well, still 90 a lot, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say our average is in the 80s, 90s. Um, outside of our first ride, we had one ride that had 70, 75. But um, it's amazing how it's been pretty consistent. We have people who come almost every month. You know, they pencil it in their calendar. And then um, almost every month we get new faces, mm-hmm. which is really cool. People find out through Facebook, through word of mouth, Instagram, Um or even just bumping into us on the side of the road and they see what is BMC on our jackets or T-shirts. Um, so bringing up the point of merch, you know, that could help us grow a lot. A lot, By yeah. having other people represent who we are. 
Yeah. Well, not only that, but if people are that dedicated to follow you guys and go to your events, I'm sure they would definitely love to fucking promote your product and your brand because they're, they're you're, you're right. I mean, the, I, the few times that I've gone, it's, it's, it's a lot of the same people. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. When, when are you guys, are you guys planning on doing an event in the future? Like having a big fucking, I don't know, rent a spot in Long Beach or Sandy. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Do you have a crystal ball? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, is it something you guys can talk about or is it is it something we we are in the works of something that is bigger than what we normally do um which we plan to share more information about on our sort of one year celebration at our december ride um this is something we've been working on the last few months it's uh for 2023 um it's we're excited to share but we don't want to share yet but it's definitely something unique. Something's coming. Yeah, oh, something's yeah. coming. Uh, we're super excited to share with the community and uh, get feedback on it too and, and have a ton of people be a part of it. Are you guys doing it? Uh, who are you guys collaborating with? Are, are there any major companies you're collaborating with? You know, like Ridershare or Eagle Riders or like for people to rent bikes or whatever, Roland Sands, any of those brands or not yet? We would love to start uh, partnering with uh, with companies for spa- uh, sponsorships. Um, again, you know, we pay a lot out of pocket to make things happen, and we're happy to do that. But we definitely think it would be cool to collaborate with with companies who appreciate um, what we're doing for the community and building up the community. Um, so definitely, if there was a company that were to reach out to us that was interested. Um, and what we're working on, the secret project we're working on, we're defi- definitely uh, wanting sponsorships to be a part of that because it's going to be pretty big. Um, but at this moment, we're not really teamed up with anyone. And then for these companies that uh, you, you would want to collaborate or brands that you want to collaborate, how, how would they get a hold of you? Is that all you guys run everything through Instagram, emails or? Yeah, we have an email, uh, mainly Instagram, but. Uh, anything business related we typically go through like our email page um, and we're actually working on like a sponsorship package or packet for companies to see sort of what we're about uh, what we would be interested in um, you know what would be the benefit to them right right we're not looking to just take advantage of other companies we want to see how can we help them and we sort of also want to believe in their mission and their values because uh, we value our community and we wouldn't want to bring in someone who's looking to take advantage um, in a negative way, right? But be more impactful in a positive way. Yeah, that makes sense. And we've uh, approached a couple companies um, through events. I think uh, the last event at the bike shed you were at, um, we all have business cards on us at all times to pass out whenever we need. And uh, we're recruiting companies for this little secret event that we got coming up next year so yeah i mean so mysterious dun, 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 dun. Hold on. the suspense oh. Oh. Ah. <laughs> i gotta name these fucking buttons it's gonna be a huge reveal in december it's well let epic. me know i, I want to help you guys push that as much as possible absolutely that, that, that's what this is all about yeah thank you yeah Appreciate of course How, how'd you uh how'd you guys get into uh, motorcycles how'd you get into riding so I um I got my first motorcycle when I was twelve years old, a little fifty cc two stroke with the pull start. Dan, Dan, no, I 
Or you- so I grew up, um, uh, let's see, I grew up with a friend whose parents were mechanics. His, bro- his dad and his, all his brothers were mechanics. And they had motorcycles. And I was always like, whoa, that's awesome. And so one day I just, I said, I need to get my own. So I got that 50cc, 12 years old, would ride it in the backyard. Super illegal to ride it in the streets. So I would try to not get caught riding it in the streets. From there, I graduated to a dirt bike. I met another friend who would go camping to the desert, and his dad raced dirt bikes when he was younger. And this friend had all these like Honda, like a, a fleet of dirt bikes. I'm like, whoa, I need to get one of those. So when I was like 16, I got a dirt bike, would ride it in the trails, did a lot of uh, desert camping and trail riding. And then uh, when I got in college, I bought a, I got my license and I bought a sport bike back in like 2010, uh, Suzuki GSX-R 600. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. I mean, yeah. I took care of it like nothing else. <laughs> and that was about, what, 12, 13 years ago almost. Um, and so from there, I just, I got a dirt bike when I graduated college, another a better one. And um, now I have like four motorcycles and I just love riding and it's my... It, it's taking over my life, and I absolutely love it. I love yeah, it. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Have you taken any uh, safety courses or anything to perfect your, your riding? Yeah, I've done a lot to make myself as skilled as possible to keep me safe on the road. So that's awesome. I've done the Hawthorne Police Department um, Right to Live training course where motor cops teach you the skills that they deploy like on the road to keep themselves safe from traffic and when they... Uh, chase people down they actually offer a course and i've taken it twice teaches me how to do tight turns emergency braking hazard avoidance on the highways and uh, i'm gonna try to take it again because every time we take it you take something new of course so doing police training is one way i've made myself a little bit more skilled another way is riding on the racetrack um over uh willow springs when you ride a motorcycle really fast around tight turns it teaches you a lot about controlling your motorcycle the capabilities your own abilities and it just pushes your your skill level to the point where when you go back to riding on the roads in la it's so much easier because you've you've been training in a very dangerous environment going at high speeds at the racetrack so it's kind of a way that i see to improve my own skill to make myself as safe as possible and what I like about the tracks is it, it lets you focus on on your motorcycle's capabilities. It, it lets you focus on how you turn, how you brake, how you accelerate. You don't get enough of that when you're in the city riding because you're always watching out for cars and, you know, you're looking at people's wheels and tires. Are they turning into your lane? You're looking inside their car. They're on their phone. You're looking at their mirrors. Can they see you? Or is their mirror looking at the fucking sky or the ground? <laughs> you're so focused on so many things. And on Willow Springs... It's important to be familiar with your motorcycle because what I tell people on riding is ride aggressive. You have to ride aggressive on a motorcycle, but don't go over your motorcycle's limits. And if you never test your motorcycle's limits, that's where people speed and then they can't stop on time or they can't, you know, uh, turn out of the move out of the way on time. You know, people are you know crashing or taking turns too hard and going into the dirt. And the other thing people don't understand in Willow Springs or any other track, Chuckwalla, whatever, when when you go into the dirt, when you take a turn too hard and you go into the dirt, you got to consider that was a crash. 
even <laughs> though you didn't crash and maybe you landed standing up in the real world, that would have been, you went off a cliff. That was an accident. Mm, yeah. You went, you went into, you know, so it helps you show the limits of your bikes. And that, that's what I love about that. I would have been twice or dead twice already. If I, uh, practiced that on the road, because I went off on the dirt at the track already twice. And that one of them was like this past weekend. Really? <laughs> so and, and what's fucking crazy is, is, the people that have been riding the longest take courses. And when people start, they don't want to take a course, you know? What about you, Adam? When did you get into bikes? Uh, well, funny, I started dirt biking as a kid when I was five, thanks nice. to my dad. And I hated it. Um, really? I, I did. What? Right? What, was, what did you hate about it? Well, funny enough, it was always I was always by myself. My dad was very uh, particular that I learn on this dirt path that I just go in a circle. And, you know, at five years old, you're like, I just want to twist the throttle and go. And he was like right off the bat trying to teach me the gears. Techniques. and Technique. Yeah. So every time I win, it was like, go do 50 laps practicing the gears. And at that age, I was like, it wasn't fun for me. Um. Then when I got older, I've always appreciated old things, old cars, old bikes. We say vintage. Vintage. Sorry. (laughs) Vintage. And um, the good old days. The good old days, yeah. Right? And uh, my dad got a vintage Honda CB550 Supersport, 1976. And I was like, that thing is beautiful. I'd love to learn to ride and just putz around town. We kept it at our family uh, vacation house up in Kernville. And during COVID, there was nothing to do. So I said, um, let me take the the test or the class. I passed the class and then everything shut down again. So I couldn't take the test at the DMV. So I had to wait a few months. So I actually started riding January 2021. So I'm still fairly new. Yeah. Um, But the reason also I this was another way for me to bond with my father and spend time with him and, you know, have a common interest um, but then we went on this trip, uh, up the coast and then I wanted to ride more, right. Cause I kept my bike up at our family house, didn't ride that often. Um, but it was also another way for me to make friends. A lot of my good friends had moved, moved away. Best friend moved to Switzerland, other ones in med school in Portland. Um, so I didn't have a lot of close friends in town. So that was also maybe a part of my drive to want to build this this BMC, you know, community, make friends. Franco and I um, became great friends right off the bat. And our our team's absolutely amazing. The people that we've brought in, um, I talk to almost every day, we'll do stuff that isn't motorcycle related. You know, that's what brought us together. But it's it's really special to see people sort of buy into this community and want to give back and and build these friendships um, that are more than just riding. But that was sort of my my story into getting into riding. And like Franco said, it's a huge part of my life now. And um, I love every second of it. it it's, it's never too late. Uh, I did a podcast with Rawhide. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Rawhide, but they do the uh, adventure bike training course in Santa Clarita. It's a three-day course that you ride through rivers, lakes. There's a fucking 10 or 15-foot drop. You ride through the mountains, mud. I mean, it's it's intense. But when you walk out of there, like, you're pro. Anyways, I interviewed everybody in the class, and there was one story, and he actually works there. His name is Robert Glass, a great guy. Uh, he's, he's in his 70s now, 
And his story was, I, I think it's such a great story, but his story was, uh, was into dirt bikes, riding, you know, in his teens, turns 20, goes to college, no more bikes, gets out of college, gets married, has a family, no bikes, has kids, no bikes. Uh, he's now in his 60s. He's 61 years old. And, I, and I, if I remember correctly, one of his friends bought a motorcycle and he was like, oh, that's nice. And uh, he turns around. There's a little sad part to the story, but he turns around. He looks at his wife, and his wife just kind of looked at him and says, I want a divorce. And he's like, what? He's like, I want a divorce. Next day, he goes, picks up a bike, <laughs> never came home. And for 10 years, he's ridden to Alaska, South America. He's ridden all around the world and has been working with Rawhide for several years now. And it's his passion. And, the, and this guy's right, 71 years old. He's, he's an instructor, and he's badass, and he's ridden all over the world. So the, there's, there's never... A story. It's a crazy story. <laughs> no, that episode had cr wild stories. Like, uh, I, I forgot the name of it, but it was uh, Why We I think Why We Ride with Rawhide. But it was basically, I interviewed 20 individuals. Um, yeah, 20 individuals for five minutes each. And found out why they ride. So it's never too late. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like it. Riding a motorcycle, it's freeing. It's so much more entertaining than being in the car. Oh, uh, so I'll much. ride two hours happily. I'm not going to want to drive two hours. Like driving the car for two hours, you're going somewhere, uh, camping or something in the car. It's just not as involved. It's boring. But you, you say, I'm going to go moto camping. And it's a two-hour ride. Let's do it. I don't think twice. It's just so much more entertaining. It's definitely taking the fun away from my car. I mean, I got a <laughs> a BMW convertible a few years back, and I drove everywhere with the top down. Like, if it's 45 degrees out, I had the top down. And then <laughs> I, I get into motorcycles, and I just I rarely want to drive. I barely put the top down. Sometimes I even consider, do I need a car? And obviously I do. Uh, do you? It's All a little right, more get practical. another bike. <laughs> right. Right. So tell me tell me what you guys think about this statement I'm going to make. This is just something I've noticed. Um, this is the first time I've been writing for over 20 years, okay? This is the first time I have seen or I feel that driving a car in LA is more dangerous than riding a motorcycle. And this is why People are acting like fools right now. People are speeding. People are fighting. People are screaming, fuck you. People are aggressive. They're, they're getting crazy. When you're in traffic and there's a car behind you or next to you giving you shit, you have no way to get out of that. You're stuck. That guy's on your ass or in front of you braking or, you know, whatever. On a bike, you know, if there's an asshole for one quick second, you can just be like, fuck you. And, and you, you can escape so much easier. God, yes. And, I, and, I, and again, this is the first time I've said this statement, but I strongly believe it's crazy with random stabbings, random pedestrians getting hit, random this, random that. I strongly believe it is fucking safer on a bike than a fucking car. To be honest, I feel pretty safe on a bike. I do. You can get out of anything. You can you run dodge, away from the cops. Dodging, if you need to? yeah. I mean, <laughs> cut the line at the red light. Um, yeah, I mean, I think being in the car also enrages you because you're wasting your life being in traffic. There's no traffic with a motorcycle. 
So, I mean, there's a lot of factors that make you more, you, you like you can hit road rage too, personally, but, um, on a bike on, in a car. So yeah. like, you know, Oh yeah. You bike, could be the aggressor too. Yeah. For whatever reason. I see. What so you're therefore saying. it's more dangerous. Um, but as long as there's a lot of space between the carpool and the fast lane, I think it's a lot safer to ride a motorcycle because you can take that. And that's usually what I take on my commute to work is, uh, between the carpool and the fast lane. Um, but I mean, but there's little things that you start advancing. Like for example, th- this is a little tip. I, I don't know. I, I, it's a fucking tip for me because it's, it's going to save your life. I don't know if it's legal or not legal, but when I'm splitting lanes, when there's a fucking truck on the number two and there's a car that's kind of close to the truck, I don't try to squeeze in. I just go on the left side and I just go like, Oh, okay. You're trying to block me up. Well, no problem. You know, I'm not going to fight with you, sir. You're in a bigger car. And I catch them off guard, and I just do it just to pass that car, and then I get back in. So I do this when somebody tries, which doesn't happen often. They try to, like, block that off. I'll just go around the left side. Mm -hmm. Or when there's a fucking big truck, and and there's not enough room. And then, obviously, this guy's not paying attention, you know? So on my way here, I mean, I probably shouldn't say this, but, I mean, I break a lot of rules on the road. Uh, I rode on the shoulder well, a little to, bit. It's safe to, to protect yourself. <laughs> it's so much safer to ride like a little bit on the shoulder. If you got all these, you're you know in the slow lane, the lane number two, um, just to keep myself out of harm's way. Shoulder riding isn't too dangerous. You just got to make sure you don't hit any, you know, puncture your tire. Yeah, there there is that. Well, I think the issue too is with cars now. We're so reliant on the technology, right? So. For example, someone hit my car. I didn't have a car for three months, and I don't have a backup camera. So when I had to rent a car, I had a backup camera. And the second I got my car back, it was like I had no clue how to back into a spot. Right. So now with, with cars, people are so reliant on the technology instead of being in control, where on a motorcycle, you have to be in control. And I think on the road, you almost have to trust your own judgment versus the machine's judgment. Right, you read these articles now with, with Tesla and their auto driving accidents with motorcycles. What do you think of that? I, I think it's I think it's irresponsible. It can be irresponsible, right? Yeah. Because um, even though you're supposed to have a hand on the wheel, people maybe take advantage and they're not watching themselves, right? Um, so I think. So would you be? Are you for or against self driving cars? It's hard to say. I no, just right say, off the bat, like you know, you're right you're, now. No, um, you know, maybe you know, with technology improving. Right? No, but, as in it shouldn't be done, but yes, within the field. Okay. Correct. So, like for example, a car. If they're in a situation where you have a person walking their dog or a little kid on one side, and the car has to make a decision on which direction to go, and it's going to hit, it doesn't have that thought process of I might lean and hit the dog versus this child, right? Which is messed up to say either way, but with a person, they can, they can react themselves and make that decision. See, but I'm going to challenge that. I I don't think a self-driving car would get itself in that situation. I think a person that's texting and writing or texting and driving and not paying attention could get himself in that situation. That's fair too. You know, I, I, I've ridden so much. 
Right now, I have uh, I have three motorcycles. Two of them I bought with zero mileage, whatever, one or two miles. Mm-hmm. On the GS, I have uh, almost thirty thousand, and on the Harley, I have a little over ten thousand. It's all traffic. It's all traffic riding. I haven't taken a trip anywhere. Maybe this wow. little coast bullshit here and there. Not bullshit, but like this little coast, like little, you know, whatever, 10, 15, 20 miles. The rest of it's traffic. It's just back and forth. I've seen so many shitty drivers and people not paying attention that I oh, can't yeah. wait for fucking self-driving cars. They're not going to go over the speed limit. The mirrors are going to be corrected. We're talking about... Uh, infrared, we're talking about sonar, we're talking about cameras. Like, I trust my iPhone's memory taking pictures than my own memory of picturing something. You know what I mean? And, and, I, and I, think, I think the problem is it needs to all happen at the same time. In the meantime, it's kind of like a little, like 10% self-driving cars and 90%, you know? I, I think that's the problem. And obviously, in the future, it's going to get better and better and better. But I'm telling you, with what I've seen... Like I said, people's mirrors are all fucking whacked out. They're not even, they're not even looking at the rearview mirrors. It, it, it's it's completely absurd. I I believe it's going to be pretty good. What do you think about people's skill level dropping as they have to participate less? So like Adam was saying earlier, right? You have a lot of tech in the cars. You lose a skill level. No, you can't really no. parallel park anymore. You can't back up in the driveway anymore that, because that, the car's doing it for you. No, no. I I, I think. Um, I, I think I see what you're saying, but I, I don't think that's justification for people's writing. Those are uh, little assists like, you know, stay in your lane, uh, helping you park. But the actual driving part, I mean, we got a lot of old cars and I think people are just distracted. People are on their phones. People are on their social media. People are responding to texts. Uh, people are eating People yeah. are fucking, they have their doing hands their off hair. the wheels, doing their hair, <laughs> doing their makeup. Uh, people are trying to fucking work on their laptop, like send a fucking email. Like, like you know, it, it's, it's fucking. Here's the thing. I've, I've been, there's been times where I'll ride a motorcycle for like two months, three months, and no car. Right? And then I get in the car, and I'm like, this is so comfortable. I can fucking watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can, like you know, I could do yeah. so much. You, you can do so much in the car, um, like fall asleep behind the wheel if you're tired. Yeah, you can't do that on a motorcycle. No, that that's what I like about it. Exactly, exactly. No, I've yeah. said it many times before. I, I, a motorcycle. What I like about a motorcycle is there are moments that every time I walk up to my bike, I go, "What the fuck am I doing? This is dangerous. This is scary. What the fuck? This is like you know why? I'm, like I, I could just." Why am I doing this? But there's something about that when I throw my leg over and I start the bike up, I don't care if I'm cold. I don't care if I'm tired. I don't care if uh, I'm sleepy. I don't care what's going on. The moment that engine starts, it's like, you know, I could see fucking, it becomes a matrix, you know, fucking that bitch is doing her makeup. She's fucking eating food. Oh my God. You're so much more aware, right? Everything moving. Every, you're just scanning. Makes you a better car driver. Wait, it makes you a better car driver, yeah. And that's the other thing. The more people that ride, the people that know that people that ride are more cautious for people on bikes. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you're always looking. made me a more cautious driver. Mm-hmm. If you uh, try to get into the carpool lane illegally, you look twice for motorcycles. Yeah. If you're driving a car. Yeah. Because we know what that yeah. life is like. 
And even bicycles too. I mean, I don't ride a bike on the street. I think that's even more dangerous than Way us because more they're like they have no gear and they'll run a stop sign without even looking sometimes, you know, because they're just they have that momentum. Right. Um Yeah. I yeah, mean, bicycle riders don't know that stuff. But I get what you're saying that you would trust a machine on the road to be more aware and present versus a person who's had a long day, maybe going through something, has stuff going on, work, and their focus isn't on the road when it should be. So, Well, not only that, but like they'll, they'll get distracted for a few minutes on their phone, and then they'll look up, and they're late. And then they start speeding, and then there's this, and then they turn, and then they get aggressive, and then there's a, a, a five-year-old kid on a bicycle, and there's a guy on a motorcycle, and he has to choose because he fucking was speeding last minute, and... You know, um, okay. What do you think of this statement? Uh, nine. This is my opinion. Not, and I've said this many times. Ninety-five percent of motorcycle accidents is rider error. I don't know. That's tough. I mean, at least from what I've seen and heard from friends, colleagues in the last year, a lot of it is because. Um, you know, a car was involved, right? So, like, it could be an error on the motorcyclist because they didn't handle the situation right, but it was also a, a situation that most people maybe wouldn't handle right. Like, there's no right or wrong way to handle the situation. Sometimes you get lucky and, you know, you save your butt from something really bad, but then sometimes you're unlucky. So, I mean, to say 95% it's on the motorcyclist, I feel like that's a high... Pretty it's, high. What do you um, think? Unfortunately, a lot of the accidents that come to mind in recent times have been newer riders that didn't grow up riding motorcycles and thought it would be cool to have one, and then they do reckless things and get in trouble. Um, 95 is pretty high, but I do feel like it could be a lot of rider error. Um just not knowing how to manage the road, read the road, how to maneuver your motorcycle in tricky situations. Um, Maybe 50-50, right? Because you get those people who are irresponsible. I, 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 I'll, I'll tell you something. I started with 70%. I used to work for Harley-Davidson 10 plus years ago, so I sold a lot of motorcycles and I dealt with a lot of uh, clients and I heard a lot of accidents. I used to think it was 70%. Over the years, it became 80, 85, 90, 95. I think when I started this podcast, I was at 80%. Right now, I'm saying 95% is right error. I, we, we can analyze uh, any accident. I mean, the two most common accidents is the, the T-bone on, on, on the main streets. And usually, this is the case. A guy's like on his bike and he's like, hey, bro, what, you know, fucked up in crutches. What happened? Oh, man, I was going down the street and, and this car turns in front of me and I fucking T-boned in the piece of shit. Oh, <laughs> fuck that car. Was it a Prius? Maybe it was. Fuck Priuses. Right? But we service the police bikes and, hey, what happened to so-and-so? Well, he was going 65 miles an hour on Van Nuys Boulevard. Mm. That's fair. And yeah. the car that was made the left did not think this motorcycle... The mics are super low. This is trying like stand up. And <laughs> you had some short people on the. On no, the show these are early. these are my portable mics. So, okay. uh, I'll go. Well, I'll, let me go to the accident thing. Yeah. So the more accidents that I kept hearing about, I was like, 
All right. So that, that was a big popular one. Another one is uh, people taking turns too hard and they, and they don't give themselves enough road and they fucking crash on the side or off the side of the road or go into the other lane or whatever the case is. Let's analyze it. Tell yeah. me two accidents you know of that, that you know, let's just analyze it. Let's not say whose fault it is. And Fra uh, Frank, won't, Frank won't I will be the judge. Uh, Name two I've accidents. Don't say names. Do you have any uh, in mind? Off the top of. That um, you believe wasn't their fault. I have one if Adam wants yeah, me to go first. So I heard about this story two weeks ago. My buddy was riding in the carpool lane and this lady merged into the carpool lane through the solid lines and sandwiched him between the car and the wall. So maybe we can analyze that as my buddy being in the blind spot, right or error. Um, but... He wasn't expecting that, and, uh, you know, that was, he, he went down. Pike went down, and we had to get it. Repaired. Adam, what do you think of this? Well, I mean, the car broke the, the closer you are to the mic. Or, Sorry. Can you stand up your mic? Should I have you do this a little? Is that better? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, I mean, the car broke the law. 100%. Right? So, like, mm -hmm. when you say error, a lot of the time it's because one party is breaking the law, right? You said earlier the bike was going 65 miles an hour on a street where it's 35, well, they're breaking the law, right? And right we have error. these laws right. um, for safety reasons. But in that situation, like you're in the carpool lane and someone goes over the, the double yellow yeah. lines and hits you, I mean, as a rider, what can you do, right? How is that on you? Well, I'm here in this situation and I'm thinking something's off because number one, the lane is 10 foot wide okay number two there's another four or five feet you know next to before you get crushed or anything sometimes it's two feet sometimes it's four to five feet so we're talking about 15 feet my wife hold on wait, wait that last four feet you're saying between the carpool and the wall because what, what if there's what, no well there's depending no. right depending on what freeway the, on yeah. average i think it would say i would say two feet at least two three feet on average but there are some that are like when you go on the five towards glendale there's a fucking, it's another <laughs> lane. When you go on the 10, there's another fucking lane, you know, and, and you see it like on the 10, I've seen cop cars just go right through it. When they have an emergency, there's a lot yeah. of traffic. There's a, there's a whole nother car lane there. What about like the 110 when there's no, it's literally just the carpool and a wall. Okay. You know, there's some older you, you, freeways you, you, where you, you're at a 10 foot lane and you're seeing a car come in at you the only way i can the only way i visualize that is if this car was aiming for me and fucking was like and turn but for for somebody to breaking the law and me not being able to speed up or slow down or or, or move out move out of the way i i, I don't know I, I feel one of two things either just just guess them I'm not trying to yeah. prove anybody no, wrong. Yeah, I got you. I can give you some more info too. The only way, well, give me more info because <laughs> I, I, I have an assumption at this point. <laughs> I do know that his tire, when he got hit, it slid. Like he got pushed by the car. Yeah, I know. but So it wasn't like, like. Um, All right, my prediction. He wasn't watching it. You know? Okay, go for it. My hit prediction. Me. Hit me. I don't know this person. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what bike they were on or anything. I think they were going at a decent speed. Not decent speed. Let's say it's 65. They're going at 70. And they saw this car breaking the law, 
going over double lines, and they said, you can't do that. Let me get next. And kind of like, hey, back up. You know, like, you know, you know, people try to enforce things, like, you know, try to be safety. And either one or two things, they were at the blind spot, and instead of focusing on getting out of the situation, it was more of a, hey, you need to fucking, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to move, or yeah. I got to have my presence here. <laughs> And, and which a lot of new writers, I shit, I used to do crazy stuff. I used to, you know, stop in front of cars, like, fuck you, you know. Uh-huh. And I know people that did that, and, and it, it ended bad. I got lucky, it didn't end bad. Um, but I, I, I don't believe that you're fucking on the carpool lane. And it's like, where did that come from? Yeah, because you have awareness, right? Three sixty, especially on a bike, especially on a bike. You know, mm. now. Where where was he? Anyways, like I, I don't want to I don't want to imagine they use this evidence or something. They're always going to favor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're always going to favor bikes. Back. Yeah, they're always going to favor bikes. But when you really look at it, trust me, I, I, I've seen the accidents that that it's not the rider's fault. But I only know two of them, and I know twenty thirty accidents that well, I'm like. I have one for you. So please. you're at a red light. Someone just comes up behind you and hits you. Horrible. That's legit. Yeah, that's legit. Right. Like that's legit. at that point, you can't go because you're running into an intersection. Where that sounds so. And that happens a lot, though, right? Like they I, but tell I, riders, I was going to ask. Like, stay in first instead of click up to neutral until you see the car right behind you is braked. So you can move right. forward if you need to. It's no, no, that, that's legit. But I was going to ask, how many times have you guys heard of that happening? I know of one person, but I see videos all the time, right? Like Instagram. Um, you see these accidents, crazy accidents sometimes, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not going to happen often, but, um, you know, the more I think about it too, you might be right that it is rider error, especially if you're riding with other people, right? Um, you're trying to keep up and you go a speed that you're not used to. Not comfortable with. Or people are reckless. They'll buy a bike that they're not ready to ride yet. Um, or the other one, like, I'll, I'll sometimes be at a high speed and somebody's keeping up with me. And I'm like, dude, I have a brand new bike with fucking traction control and ABS. What the fuck are you doing? You have no ABS. You have single disc in the front and in the back. What the fuck are you doing? You know, the Harley guys, <laughs> yeah. right? And it's like, dude, if we had an emergency stop or something happened, uh, it, it's not about the speed or anything. It's just that if something happens, here's my point, And this is why I want to have this conversation. Riding a bike. I used to, I used to be a lifeguard. My first job when I was a teenager was lifeguarding. My job wasn't to save people's lives. It was prevention, prevention, prevention. If it got to that point, then I had you to save a life. For it. But I had to prevent it. You know, hey, can you swim across the pool when I did beach? Hey, can you swim to the buoys? Hey, can you follow instructions? Hey, are you old enough? Hey, do you have floating device? It's prevention. So when you get into a prevention mentality, you know, then it's, it's, it's oh, shit. Did, did I give myself enough space? Was I paying attention? Was I aware? Was I speeding? Was I not speeding? Was I trying to be a badass? Was I not trying to be a badass? I think the statement is saying, you know, just an example, saying 50-50 or, uh, you know, it, it's never the motorcycle's fault. I think that thing is false confidence to new riders, you know. And new, old old school riders start, oh, shit, I got to be alert. I got to watch out. I got to be careful, you know. And, and that, that's kind of what I want people to know. Take these fucking safety courses as many times. And, and once you start doing them, you get hooked on them because you start learning more things and new things and better things. You're like, oh, shit, this is great, you know. But 
Okay, so when we started this conversation, you said 50-50. Now, what are you saying? You want another beer? Uno más? Uno más, por favor. I'm still sipping on mine. I did right here. <laughs> <laughs> you did not say that on the podcast. I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, I mean, 50-50, I mean, it could always be debatable. Um, Thank you, sir. Of course. I think it would be easier to give numbers if you break it down on situations, right? Um, Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm talking about just in general. I mean, I'm sure there's case studies on the whole fucking thing. I just haven't heard enough. Salud. Salud. I just haven't heard enough, you know, that that, that's that's where I'm like, hmm... And yeah. it could be, you know, I think, time of day also has um, prevention an impact, right? Like prevention, like you said, but there's so many different factors, right? To say 95% generally could be tough, right? Like if you're riding during peak traffic hour versus 7 a.m. on a certain road where there's no cars out, like it could only be you, right? The rider. Um but in a traffic situation where there's no, cars, no, I, I think where there's cars, you have to have prevention. So, for example, uh, sometimes the reason I don't like doing groups is because doing groups, <laughs> doing groups. Sometimes the reason I don't like uh, riding with groups is because sometimes people are splitting lanes, and some people get stuck between the two cars. Instead of like just going through, they're kind of hanging out there. They're just mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. it's like, dude. You, you stay behind a car where you leave room for yourself if you have to stop. And when you go cut a car off, you cut the car off. Like, it should take you two seconds. Like, vroom, vroom. And then get in front of him so he sees you. And then the next one. You know, some people stay in between that. That's right or error. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, I don't know. Look, this is a weird statement. So not splitting lanes is a right or error, is what you're saying? Not splitting lanes correctly is right or error. Okay. Floating between two cars is pretty irresponsible it, and ridiculous. Like uh, the tail of one car and the front of another, not floating between and it, between it, the it, lanes. Look, if if they're if they're straight like this, staying mm-hmm. in between. Oh dangerous. yeah, like next to the mirrors of yeah. the cars. Yes, no. Yeah, no. You, you're doing that. Don't be on a motorcycle. Yeah, no, no. I, but you see that. If one car's a little fa- uh, ahead and the front fender is against this guy's back fender, well, that gap, if you want to be here, you have all this room. And if you want to be here, you have all this room. But when you pass this gap, pass that as fast as you can. Oh, yeah. Pass that as fast. Like, vroom, like, and then get in front of the other car and make yourself seen. Oh, yeah. You know, we all know the statement. We're, we're invisible to people, mm-hmm. you know. So make yourself seen. Um, yeah. I mean, well, with with BMC, you know, bringing it back to that, we we preach safety and the importance of being safe, right? Like off the bat, we have a debrief with 80 to 100 people. And you guys need one of those fucking horns like the we we probably should. huh? Uh, (laughs) But we project. Everybody is listening. We huddle, you know, people will circle around the debrief and speak as loud as possible. And we usually say, hey, can you hear me in the back? We're like, yeah, but I but mean, yeah, we we have rules, right? And and if you can't follow those, you you can't ride with us, right? Like, you're riding with eighty to a hundred other people. There's other lives at stake. Um, you can't be splitting lanes. You can't be going fast 
um, you have to follow our rules so everyone's safe um, and enjoys the parade ride, right? Like if you're looking to ride fast, you don't show up to a group with 100 bikes. Right. Um, we get people of all skill levels, uh, people who just started riding within that month to people who've been riding for decades. Um, I have an idea. You guys should talk to a safety course. Say, hey, I can bring X amount of people. Give us a discount. We'll work a trade to do a safety course. Well, we're bringing more people to the track. That's part of the safety to build the skill level of our crew. Like at least our crew. Our crew is crucial to make sure that these group rides are safe. Uh, So we're trying to, this past track day, we brought two new faces. So we're slowly growing that. That's awesome. Um, But back to what Adam was saying, we do tell people in the debrief, super comfortable pace. We're not racing. We're not doing wheelies. We're not lane splitting. If you want to go fast, we'll meet you at the destination. We tell them where it's at. It shouldn't be a problem. But for the most part, the diversity and skill level means we go pretty slow. Our leaders always know to stay a little bit like above the speed limit. And um, uh, the safety course idea isn't too bad. Um, but uh, I think we, we, we got to control and train our crew first. That might be. Let's, uh, let's talk about your crew. You guys got 20, almost 20 people, you said, right? Just about. We started out with five. Uh, so along with Franco and I, we had Zeke, Nick, Natasha. We were all friends at the, at the start. Um, by our second ride, when it was five of us and 95 people showed up, we're like, okay, we, <laughs> <laughs> what? we could use the help. Um, yeah. And slowly but surely, people who were coming around a lot, getting to know us, were totally bought into the vision and the community. Um, we would reach out to them or they would express interest. And every month, it's like we're constantly growing. So we're trying to figure out ways to streamline things, make things better. Um, but we're at about 20 people. And again, building, um, the connection off the bike has been crucial, right? Like just becoming friends, getting to know each other. And then we do test rides of our events. So everyone has to memorize the route. Um, we're pushing our team to be on comms throughout the ride. So we're communicating constantly to each other. We review our routes. We understand where it's high traffic, um, you know, what could be a scary situation if we're, we're not safe. So we're preventing, um, you know, potential issues beforehand. Um, but again, just building up our riders because when building a team, right, you, you can't get the, a superstar and get 10 superstars and make a good team. Um, you got to find people who fit different roles, right? So we have new riders like myself. I'm a new rider, right? I've only been riding two years, um, but I fit the role of event planning and logistics and stuff. But we have people on the team who are just, um, you know, new to riding, but they're amazing at communicating with people, making people feel confident and comfortable in our community, um, reaching out to people. Some people are on the team because they have the skill of taking photos and videos and producing content that sort of displays what we're all about. Um, So we're building this team, and then we're building each other's skill on and off the bike. Um, So once we can continue to uh, better that, then we can continue to better the community in that sense, like you said, um, promote 
track days promote safety courses and we do on our instagram we try to promote that's awesome no i, I see it yeah. and that, i was just that's why i was you know adding and making sure people know about it this is to get you know the community yeah you know awake and looking forward to things and, and to be safe i to mean be safe. it's i mean it hurts my heart whenever i see like people i know whose friends have been in accidents or themselves and it's like um you hate to see that absolutely right and I think people who don't ride, they always tie, oh, accidents to motorcycles. Yeah. Um, and because they don't ride, they don't see the enjoyment and how special it is. Um, it's a meditation. Yeah, for sure. It's a meditation. It's, a, it's, it's back to what I was saying earlier that when I get on the bike and I start that motor, I, I don't care if I had a bad day. I don't care if uh, work was terrible. I, I don't care what happens. Once it, once it's, you know, you get on the bike, it's it's just you and the bike and the road. And it, mm-hmm. it's a great feeling. It's a fucking great feeling. But you shouldn't ride if you're mad. It goes out the door. Well, for me, it goes if, out the door. If, if you're mad or late, your risk late. level increases. Late. 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 late uh, yeah. Late is different. Mad. I, I could be, I could be mad. But as soon as I, I can get into an argument with you guys and fight you guys. Yeah. As soon as I open up that door, it's gone. I, I, you know, like I'm, I'm just, you know. Yeah. But it, it, in the meantime, here with you, I'll fucking, I'm going to arm wrestle you and thumb wrestle you and ah, throw the bottles and Bring drama. Ah, you know, but as soon as I walk out the door, I, I, don't, I don't give a fuck. I'll just be like, fuck them. Well, I think mad and being in a place where you're considering hurting yourself is different, right? Like, I could be mad at something, jump on the bike, and completely forget about it. I could have got an argument with a friend. I'm really heated about it. I go ride, and I'm like, okay. Goes you know, away. That's what I'm talking away. about. But yeah. if you're in a, play, a dark place where, you know, you're not happy with something, and you're really down, and you're like, I'd be okay if... That's Something deep, happened. bro. That, that's like yeah, another that's level. Like, that's like uh, that's when I would be like, yeah, yeah don't don't probably. get on the bike if you feel like killing somebody. You know, like you should definitely avoid. <laughs> yeah. If you're like, I want to kill somebody today. But Matt, I, I like you said, it's therapeutic okay. for sure. Yeah, yeah, I definitely use writing as a way to reset my brain whenever needed. If I need to kind of come to my senses and reset my bearings. But uh, yeah, if I'm upset or mad, I take more risks sometimes. Um, but especially when I'm late. That's not a good thing. Late fucks with me. Mad, I, I, I can't, I, I can't even relate. And I get mad, but like on a bike, it, it's, it's hard to stay mad, right? <laughs> fuck them, my beautiful bike, and fucking, you know, like fuck. It's just so. Uh, tell me some of your favorite rides, Franco. Well, we just did a. Re- a retreat with Beachside Moto Club up to Big Sur. And uh, it was special, let me tell you. We had 13, 14 people uh, met up at Blue Bottle in Malibu and uh, did spent the whole weekend together. We rode up to Solvang, had break or lunch, I should say, there. Um, then made our way over to Big Sur and Morro Bay, right, Adam? Yeah, it was um, this trip we had been planning for a while. Um, I did it with my dad up to Morro Bay and it was like what got me so excited about riding and wanting to ride here in LA. So I was like, this is a perfect opportunity for our team to get closer. Um, so we stayed a night in Morro Bay, then did a ride up to Big Sur, back to Morro Bay, then to Santa Barbara and back down. But, um, it was beautiful. It was special. 
mm-hmm. on and off the bike. I think our team really got to know each other. Um, now it's like almost every week we're like, hey, what are we doing this weekend? What are, <laughs> yeah. are we going out? Like um, where before it wasn't like that. It was like almost more work-like. Like, all right, we got the test ride. We've got the group ride. And we'd be on a high from the group rides. But that, that retreat, I think, really brought us together and made us a more tight-knit team. Um, Successful that, team building right there. That was yeah, special. Big time. Yeah. But that PCH is beautiful, huh? Oh, yeah. The pit stops were gorgeous. Just kind of coming together and talking it, it, about it doesn't ride. even feel like california like you like you you like if somebody was to drop you off and you were to see some of those views you'd be like oh my god where am i is this, yeah. or is this europe or like greece what the fuck is this yeah it, it, it's amazing and it's crazy how many people live in la and have never seen pch all the way up well it would suck on a car you know so it's no it's fun in a car it, it's fun in a car. It's I, more I, fun on a bike. Of course, oh, yeah. it's more fun in a, co- a bike. We're so lucky to be in California. Have yeah. all that within reach, like thirty to minutes to an hour. You get to see different landscapes, different geological a year form. Too. Yeah, yeah, like we're so only, lucky. Only twelve months out of the year. Really? I, I like. I, I'll it's read, too bad. It's not more. No. I'll read um, in like Facebook posts of people, and they're like, "Yeah, my riding season's four months." I know. What are you doing for the other eight Seriously. months? That would go crazy. I was just talking to somebody from, uh, where was it? Like the East Coast somewhere. And they're like, yeah, my bike is in storage right now. I'm like, yeah. wow. I don't no, know that I, feeling. And, and, and there's some people that have storages where they have to heat the storage to keep a decent temperature to make sure the bike doesn't get fucking. Yeah. Spoiled. Yeah. We're spoiled here. Especially in the But we way. pay for it, man. <laughs> we <laughs> fucking pay for it. That's true. Another, you know, back to favorite rides. I think our ride in July was really special. We collaborated with North Moto. Um, they're primarily, what, Orange County, would Orange you say? Orange County, yeah. A smaller group, um, but tremendous people. And uh, they would come to our events. And uh, Martine and I, we were like, why don't we do something together? And that first ride, we broke 100. Like, we would come so close to 100 bikes, 97, 95, 93. And then that <laughs> ride happens, and we're, like, at 150. Wow, and then the ride itself was so smooth. The venue, Sagebrush Cantina, was awesome. And, like, to think, hey, all this hard work to bring 150 people together to ride and then to see their smiles and to see their appreciation, mm-hmm. it, it was special, you know? Um because we had come so close to over a hundred and never happened. And then to collaborate with another group and to just see like two blocks on each side of the road, just filled with bikes. Um, yeah. That, that was, that was a special, I mean, they're all special. They're all, yeah. u- they're all unique. Um, That's priceless. Like no, but I, I like both examples because one example is like, what's a good ride that you really appreciated. Yeah. And it's that big sur ride. And then the other one is what's a good experience that you've, what's a good success story or feeling of what you guys created. Yeah. That's that. Mm -hmm. Both different experiences for sure. But uh, the one that Adam was mentioning with North Moto, that's why we do this. Bring people together. People make friends at last. They meet at a beachside ride and they hang out outside of it. And they come back and say, it's because of beachside that I have all these new friends. Yeah. We're all volunteers. We all have day jobs that are not about motorcycles, but we still put in time and effort to make these rides happen. And it's, it is a lot of work. We do it once a month. Um, 
but when you're done and you're at sagebrush and you see what you did and you brought people together is i would do it 10 times over it's so satisfying and feels great yeah the ride sort of just i don't remember it sometimes and i'm so thankful for instagram because i go through all the tags like the hour after the ride and i get home it's a long hour because i'm reposting everyone's posts but then i watch it all and it's like wow like what a great day and what a great feeling it is to give back to the community um before I got into coaching basketball for my career, that was my outlet. You know, I did it for volunteer work. And then when that became work, I, I needed another outlet. So to have this this outlet of giving back to the community, giving back to the people, giving them an experience um, that they look forward to, is, it's special to me. So that's why, like, all those hours that we put in, all these meetings we have, um, it's, it's so worth it. So worth it. Well, congratulations, guys. What you guys are doing is fucking truly amazing. Anybody that's been to any of these events can clearly see it. It's, it's very impressive. The consistency, uh, the team you guys have built, you know, you, you could tell how excited the team was to be part of it and, you know, make sure everybody was informed and made sure everybody was, you know, didn't have any questions and made sure that you're being heard. You Like, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing to witness. And, you're talking about Harley riders, BMW riders, Triumph riders, adventure riders, like, the, you know, fucking small motors, big motors. The, the mixture of the community you guys are creating is, is, is truly, truly impressive. Like Very inclusive. Truly. We're yeah. so inclusive. That was a focal point for us um, from the start. We said we see these other groups who have a niche, right? You have to have a certain kind of motorcycle, um, Dyna bros. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, but I mean, like, it, it's like a special niche. And we we're like, how can we include everyone? And any bike is welcome, right? Like, if you ride on two wheels, you could be a part. Um, you know, for us, we, we want to be very diverse from bike, from the people where you come from, um, different backgrounds, and even women riders, right? Like, I know there's some groups that, can be intimidating for women or they don't feel comfortable riding because it's predominantly men. And I think BMC, we're trying to get to the point where it's 50-50, right? Like where community men, women come together who appreciate riding on motorcycles and appreciate the people in the community. And it's just a, a great event. You know, it's not almost, it's almost not about the ride. Yeah, it's super cool to see 100 motorcycles roll up, but it's the before and after everyone leaves seeing an old friend and everyone leaves making a new one. And I think that's, that's really special too. Super, super. I mean, that's why people join clubs and, and, and do these things and pay to join clubs, you know, so they can socialize and meet and network and, and everything else. Um, we did over an hour. What message would you want to give to, to your community, to the biker community? Know, uh, if you ride a motorcycle in Los Angeles, look out for Beachside Moto Club. We do Saturday morning rides once a month. You're invited. Come by and make some friends. We got some cool venues. We always try to switch it up, and we got something in store for next year. Fucking awesome. Well, Franco touched on the, the BMC aspect um, from a personal note. If there's something you're passionate about, um, I think giving back to the community 
is very wholesome and, and finding a way to do that um, that you're passionate about, I, I highly recommend it. Um, this doesn't feel like work to me because of seeing how much joy it brings to other people. So if there's any advice I can give to people, if you're passionate about something, go do it and give back to your community, give back to other people and it's, uh, it'll make you feel so great. It's, it's therapy, honestly. It's therapy. I agree with that. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for making it to the podcast. Thank you for hosting Thanks us. For co- You've been uh, yeah. an amazing host. I appreciate a- the invite, brother. Anytime. I, I look forward on doing this again. This is, like I said, either going to be episode 88 or 89. So I want to get to 100 by the end of the year. Uh, any special events that you want to release, make sure to hit me up. I'd love to have you guys again. And uh, until next time. Thank Robert, you for, always you, a sir. pleasure. Thank you, Adam. Anytime.